Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Crime Vine podcast. If you are new here, I am your host, Felicity Brooke, and this is a true crime podcast, obviously, but we talk about all things true crime. Occasionally, we'll dive into some conspiracy theories, but that's on the very rare occasion. Um, but otherwise, we just stick with missing persons cases and, like, you know, obviously murder and stuff like that. So, um, if you guys aren't already, please follow me over on my Instagram account, which is at the Crime Vine Podcast. I'm very active over there and I'm constantly posting all kinds of memes and interacting with you guys. And it's honestly like one of the best things ever. I love talking to you guys and interacting and like getting to know you guys. It's honestly like such a good feeling. And also, if you could just take a few moments to rate this podcast, that will greatly help me out and it'll help boost the rating up for the show. And it keeps me being able to do it, which is awesome and keeps the show going. But um, anyway, so, and I also do want to apologize. I am a bit under the weather. I, I don't know what happened, but like the last few days, I have been so sick. I don't know if it's because finals are, for me, finals are tomorrow, which is Thursday. So this is like the Thursday before I'm uploading this episode. But, um, but yeah, I'm a bit under the weather, so... I'm not sure if that's why, so um, if my voice sounds differently, then that's why if I sound a bit congested, I am sorry that I can't help it right now. I got to record this episode and I got to get it done. So let's, before I ramble on more, let's jump into this case. So if you don't already, grab yourself a drink because this fine will rope you in. I'm going to take you back to November 10th, 2010, in Mount Vernon, Ohio, when four people went missing. A mother named Tina Herman, Tina's son, Cody Mainyard, Tina's daughter, Sarah Mainyard, and a family friend, Stephanie Sprang. Let's travel back to Mount Vernon, Ohio for this case. Mount Vernon, Ohio is a city in Knox County, Ohio, located 40 miles northeast of Columbus. Matthew Hoffman was the man responsible for this heinous crime. But who is he? He was born on November 1st, 1980, and it also appears that an event in his life shaped him into a psychopath. Neighbors later described his behavior as erratic and strange. According to one of them, he would kill squirrels and eat them. He also used to trap small animals in his yard and set small fires on the lawn and sit in trees. On Matthew's record, he does have some offenses with arson, so he does have a criminal record already. This man was a criminal from basically the beginning. He's always been in trouble with the law. It was around midnight on November 9th when Matthew Hoffman went into the woods right across from the Herman home with a sleeping bag and signed out for the night. Stalking his prey, he was waiting for two vehicles parked at the Herman home to leave. He woke up the next morning around 9 a.m. and stayed there until he saw a woman leave in a pickup truck. Matthew took this as his chance, armed with a knife and a blackjack, which a blackjack is kind of like a club, if you will. That's, that's like the best way I can describe it. 
So he tried going in through the front door, but it was locked. So he saw that there was a small opening in the garage door, so he snuck in through there and kicked in the door that led inside the house. A quote that Matthew said from his excerpt from an excerpt of his confession was, I looked around the house to make sure no one was there. Even if I did not take anything, there was a certain amount of excitement in being in someone else's home without being there. Matthew was ransacking the house looking for valuables. An hour went by and he found nothing. As he was getting ready to leave, he noticed through the window that a car pulled in. In the car was Tina Herman. Matthew, of course, was startled, so he worked his way to the back of the house near the bedrooms. Tina entered the house, and once she made her way near the bedrooms, she was confronted by a startled Matthew Hoffman. There was a struggle, but eventually Matthew gained control and threw Tina onto the bed, lying face down. Using the blackjack he had brought with him, he tried to knock Tina out, but was unsuccessful. Stephanie Sprang, who was Tina's neighbor, entered the bedroom, startling Matthew once again. Matthew knew he had to do something, otherwise he wasn't going to be able to escape, so he pulled out his knife and he stabbed Tina twice in the back. Stephanie, who was scared out of her mind, began to run for her dear life. Matthew eventually caught up to her and stabbed her twice in the chest, killing her instantly. As if twice wasn't enough, Matthew wasn't finished with Tina. He returned to the bedroom and stabbed Tina several more times. The family dog began barking and Matthew stabbed the dog and killed him. Matthew found himself in a situation with having to get rid of two bodies and a dead animal. After pacing for a while, he came to a conclusion. He was going to dispose of the bodies and burn the house down. Before he came to that idea, he thought of something else. He was going to drive their bodies into Foundation Park Pond and he would swim out of the water as the vehicle sank. But then he realized it was too cold and he would not be able to make it out of the water. Instead of just disposing of the bodies somewhere, he had to make sure he wouldn't get caught, thus leading him to the venomous act of disfiguring their bodies into pieces and stashing them somewhere. Matthew said, I took the bodies into the bathroom and began processing the bodies to dispose of them. Can we just talk about how disturbing it is, like processing of the bodies? He used the word processing as if he was butchering like meat or like an animal or something. Like he totally dehumanized Stephanie and Tina, which is so disturbing in my mind and it's so sick. And if you want more quotes by Matthew, you can read the confessions, but I do incorporate a few quote other quotes in here um, from him. I just think it adds to like the scary effect. But anyway, putting their body parts in kitchen trash bags, little did Matthew know they aren't made to hold human bodies. So he made a small trip to Walmart and picked up a box of heavy duty trash bags. Now hours have passed and Matthew was still in the Herman home. Around this time, Tina's children were to return home from school. Tina's 13-year-old daughter, Sarah, saw the intruder in her home and ran to her room. However, Tina's 11-year-old son, Cody, did not make the wrath of Matthew and he was unfortunately stabbed in the chest. After Matthew was done with Cody, he went to go pursue Sarah and see if she had a phone and if she was alerting for help. In a later interrogation, Matthew claimed, I could not bring myself to kill her. He had other plans for Sarah. 
He loaded his Jeep up with the three dead bodies and the dead dog and Sarah and headed home. Once they arrived at Matthew's home, he bound and gagged Sarah with duct tape and left her in the basement on a makeshift bed of leaves. Leaving Sarah in the basement, Matthew had other things to take care of. Three dead bodies and a dead dog. He went to the Coco Sink campground to get rid of these bodies. Matthew knew where he was going and what he was doing. As a former tree surgeon, he was very familiar with this wooded area. He could have selected to hide these bodies anywhere, but where does he choose? He chooses a 60 foot high hollow tree. He rigged a pulley system and he kind of like launched the bodies inside the hollow tree through the top. After he hit their bodies in this tree, he returned home. Over the course of four days, Matthew raped Sarah as he desired while she was bound in his basement. Sarah said the only way she got through it was to listen to everything he said and have hope someone was going to find her. Suspicions grew and the police was called when Tina did not show up for her job at Dairy Queen. Police found a Walmart shopping bag at the Herman residence along with a large amount of blood which brought the investigation to Walmart. Police were able to track Matthew through surveillance footage of him shopping at Walmart and leaving in his vehicle. And they also had transaction records of a large tarp purchased by Matthew. Police found Matthew and barged into his house, finding him sitting on the couch. They then arrested him. Upon inspection of the home, police found two dead squirrels in the freezer along with some popsicles and various knives placed around the house. And the house seemed to have almost kind of like vandalism on the wall drawings like a peace sign and like peace written on the wall but peace was misspelled weird things like that a cabinet covering the basement door the police removed it and made their way to the basement where they would find 13 year old sarah bound and gagged lying on a bed of leaves not only did they find a bed of leaves but it seems matthew had a rather odd obsession with leaves they found a living room full of leaves but it doesn't just stop there in the bathroom, there were hundreds of bags of leaves lining the walls from top to bottom. During the police interrogation, Matthew is ready to strike a deal with the police. I'll tell you where the bodies are if I don't get the death penalty. I just want to hold up right there. This man thinks he can commit such a disgusting crime and then strike a deal with the authorities. I'm sorry. Think again. No, not on my watch. Like, I just, ugh. Matthew led the police to the 60-foot high tree that was filled with the remains of his victims. Hoffman was charged with aggravated murder, burglary, rape, kidnapping, tampering with evidence, and abuse of a corpse. Matthew was found guilty on 10 counts and is now serving life in prison without the possibility of parole. I want to share with you another excerpt that I found from Matthew's confession, which is highly disturbing. It is. It says, I did not enter the house to kill those people. I did not know a single one of them. I did not know their names, and I did not know who all lived at the house. I chose the house to break into because there was not any close neighbors, and I noticed the garage door was ajar. I chose the house the day before. I did not plan for any of this to happen. I did not want to kill anyone, and I tried to just knock the first woman out so that I would be able to escape. This was not working. A second woman showed up, and things quickly spiraled out of control. They kept escalating and I was panicking. I only chose to process the bodies to make their disposal easier. 
I can't get over that processing the bodies. I just, that's so creepy and gross to me. I do not, I do not, not like that at all, at all. And I think that I don't really agree with the death penalty just because I, with the death penalty, a lot of times these people live, you know, kind of luxuriously for prison life. And I'm, I'm saying for prison life, like not actually luxurious sleep, but like they do get better food than other inmates. And like, sometimes they even get TVs in their cells and they get like special privileges and all that stuff. And I don't understand like why, like they should, honestly, they create, like committed such heinous, awful crimes. They should not be able to live that well. I think that he should, you know, be given like one meal a day, just enough to keep him alive, but like to also kind of in a way torture him like he tortured Sarah for those four days and like he tortured Sarah for the rest of her life because now she's going to have to deal with this. She's going to be a little messed up and, you know, scarred by the situation that happened. And now she doesn't have a mother or her brother on this earth anymore. She is left completely without them. It's just her and her father. And I think I read somewhere that they have, she has a stepmother, but um, that was kind of contradicting. So I'm not hundred percent sure on that, but this man really messed up for the rest of her life. So I think that he should, you know, get messed up for the rest of his life. But I do know that if you raped someone or even if, if you raped a child or did anything to a child like that, the prison inmates will take care of you. Once that the word of that gets around, you are screwed. Like I'm hoping, you know, that is finding his its way to him. I think, you know, I hope karma is finding his way to them. I don't believe that he did not plan to kill anybody because he didn't even take anything from the house. So I don't believe that, you know, you're just going to go into a house. You don't see anything valuable, but then somebody's there. So you're just going to kill them because, you know, because she wasn't getting knocked out. And then somebody, you know, that just, it doesn't seem like that, you know, you don't, nobody just kills anybody just to kill somebody. Like you don't ever, that it doesn't happen like that. This, it, I mean, this didn't really seem like planned out, but in a way it did kind of seem planned out because well, obviously the, um, robbing the home was premeditated, but like to like dispose and mutilate the bodies the way he did was just so disturbing and to hide them in a tree. Like, come on, like these are human beings. Like he literally treated them as if they weren't. And you know, like he, he totally took away their identities of who they were just for an easier disposal. Like, I'm sorry, you should have just never committed the crime. And, um, I'm glad they found him. I'm glad they found him as soon as they did. Um, just so, cause Sarah wasn't, you know, suffering that long. She was suffering for four days, but it could have been years. It could have been, you know, months, years, like could have been a lot worse, but, um, yeah, she's definitely going to be messed up for the rest of her life. And this guy is just, he's so just honestly so sick, so disturbing. What an awful human being. I don't sympathize with that. And he tried to get people to sympathize with him. And he tried saying that, um, you know, that he would feed her burgers and let her shower and um, would watch movies with her and stuff like that. And she actually came out in an interview on the Today Show in 2011 and said that he never actually fed her burgers. He never let her shower. He, she was literally bound and gagged in the basement this the entire time. And then he would just come and raped her as he pleased. And it was just an awful situation to be in. 
So anyway, that's the case on Matthew Hoffman. And yeah, I want to know what you guys think of this case. Please head over to my Instagram at the Crime Vine Podcast and let me know what you guys thought about this episode. And I kind of want to hear your thoughts on this case and like just everything on it, just what you thought of it, if you've heard this before or not. If you could also please take a few moments and review and rate this podcast, that would greatly help me out. And I will talk to you guys in my next podcast episode.